Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Last Sisyphus, a podcast dedicated to fiction and philosophy. I'm your host, Colin Jones, and today I want to talk about Gabrielle Whitcop's 1972 novella, The Necrophilia. I debated on whether it would be a good idea to review The Necrophiliac by Gabrielle Whitcop, if not for the simple reason that I could not imagine that there were that many people who would want to hear about a book that explores the seedy underbelly of cultural and social sexual taboos, especially in the form of necrophilia, or the act of having sexual intercourse with corpses. But I decided it would be a good idea to talk about Whitcop's work through the lens of other transgressive works, such as Marquis de Sade's 120 Days of Sodom, perhaps the urtext of sexual taboo in modern-day pornography itself. This is not to say Whitcop's small book is comprised of the same anti-human sentiments as 120 Days of Sodom, a position I firmly hold with regard to one of my favorite transgressive pieces of literature. But the psychology, emotional dispositions, and general questions asked in The Necrophiliac are addressed through the same genus of sexual degeneracy found in de Sade's work. It is important, however, before I get into the review of this book, to acknowledge the strange life of Gabrielle Whitcop herself. Whitcop was born on May 27, 1920 in Nantes. It was during the Nazi occupation of Paris that she met a German deserter, Justice Whitcop, whom she decided to hide from the Nazis. The details of how they came into contact and initially formed a friendship is a little unclear. Justice Whitcop was a homosexual and older than Gabrielle by 20 years, but this did not stop them from getting married. Gabrielle later described their marriage as, quote, an intellectual alliance, close quote. The lack of sexual commitment within their marriage is an interesting one in one that ought to be kept in mind when considering the necrophiliac. Gabrielle and Justice moved to Frankfurt together in 1946, following the conclusion of World War II, where Gabrielle would remain for the rest of her life. Justice Whitcop killed himself in 1986 after he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Gabrielle wrote an account of Justice in her work entitled Hemlock, which was published in 1988. It was reported by The Independent in 2002 that Gabrielle encouraged him to do so after learning of how he would have to spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Gabrielle said, quote, I had to leave home next day on business, and I knew what I would find when I returned home in the evening. He, Justice, didn't want a life in a wheelchair. His dear friend Ulrich was with him and told me, quote, His hand did not shake when he drank the poison. I hope I can do the same one day, close quote. Hemlock is something of a poetic way to die, hearkening back to Socrates' death sentence after being charged with corrupting the youth some 2,500 years ago. It was 14 years later, in 2002, that Gabrielle decided to take her own life in Frankfurt after she was diagnosed with lung cancer at the age of 82. Though Wickhop's works have been widely respected in France and Germany and other parts of Europe, her work was not available in English until very recently. The Necrophiliac, for example, was not translated into English until 2011 by Don Bapst. Whitcop's writing style in The Necrophiliac is not revolutionary in any obvious way, which makes for an extremely easy read. The book is written in the form of little journal entries by the protagonist, Lucian, reminiscing over all that he has done to feed his thirst for corpses. Many of the entries go into detail about how the protagonist violated the corpses, but there is a certain amount of awareness and restraint Whitcop uses in her writing that is not found in Desaad's 120 Days of Sodom. Desaad had no problem and he did not hold back in splattering the page with the most potent of degeneracy. Not so with Whitcop. She seemed to be committed to a controlled form of storytelling, deploying poetic language while simultaneously 
being explicit with what was happening in the story. It is difficult to compare Whitcop to any contemporary writer, but if I had to suggest a, a comparison, I might throw in the cosmic horror writer Thomas Ligotti. Ligotti does not write about sexual material per se, but he has a way of tracing the shape of what is happening without resorting to brutish, on-the-nose storytelling. This is the same effect Whitcop's writing had on me. Now, what is the necrophiliac about? The necrophiliac tells the story of Lucien, the owner of an antique shop, and his escapades in finding corpses before sexually violating them. The tale goes into detail about the process of excavating the body, getting it back to Lucien's car, taking it home, and ultimately having his way with the lifeless corpse. It goes without saying that this is a very, very dark novel. But I don't think it's without purpose. There's clearly something Whitcomb is attempting to do here, not least of which is attempting to formulate a way for the living to commune with the dead, at least in theory. There is a passage in the book where Lucian is mocked by one of the cleaning ladies. Quote, One day, however, one of the cleaning ladies had the courage to ask me why I always wore black clothes, even though I was not in mourning. Another, ever young, already fat, and whose name I've forgotten, declared in a local store that I smelled like a vampire. Always this old and aberrant confusion between two beings, so fundamentally opposed as the vampire and the necrophiliac, between the dead that feed on the living, and the living who love the dead. Close quote. This passage for me cuts straight to the heart of what the book is about. It is not about some superficial obsession with the dead, but it is about a man who seems to be sincerely impassioned by those who are no longer alive. This is answered by another passage, quote, For if necrophiliacs, they are so rare, recognize each other, they don't look for each other. They have definitely chose incommunicability, and their loves transcend into the inexpressible, close quote. Perhaps this is what the entire story is about, passion and admiration for the dead to the point of transcendence an almost religious experience. And if this is the case, then there is a fundamental question being asked. Why are some so-called religious experiences allowed while others are not? Why is it that some can express their spirituality by going to church, for example, while others are prohibited from communing with the dead in a sexual manner if it provides the same feeling or euphoria? I'm not saying I support the proposition of necrophilia. I definitely do not. But the question still remains. If necrophilia at its most fundamental is a victimless crime, should it be a crime at all? This is what seems to be the unspoken question proposed in Whitcop's book. This, again, raises the question of taboo and why societies have decided that certain sexual affinities are not allowed while others are. French intellectuals have a long history of attempting to liberate society from its sexual taboos, and Whitcop is no different. In 1977, there was, in France, a petition against age-of-consent laws. Almost all the major French intellectuals of the day signed the petition, including Michel Foucault, Jean-Paul Sartre, Jacques Derrida, Louis Althusser, Roland Barthes, Simone de Beauvoir, and Deleuze. Foucault famously said that children are able to give consent to sexual relations. He went on to say that people suggesting, quote, that a child is incapable of explaining what happened and was incapable of giving his consent, are two abuses that are intolerable, quite unacceptable, close quote. Another interesting dimension to the necrophiliac is that Lucien, the protagonist, experienced his first ejaculation at the precise moment he found out that his mother had died. We are told this information near the beginning of the story, which gives somewhat of a justification for why Lucien possesses the sexual tastes he does. It is not that he was born or destined to be possessed by sexual degeneracies, 
but it is that he was conditioned, though unintentionally, to have these sensations. All you who are familiar with Freud's work, I'm sure, will have something to add to this. The book is almost a nod to John Locke's idea of tabula rasa, the idea that we are all born with a blank slate, that our minds are formed by what is pressed upon it, by the external world. And that's an interesting concept in itself. It would be hard to recommend this book to anyone, but I do think it is worth reading. I enjoyed it, though I felt unsatisfied with the progression of the narrative. It didn't seem to go anywhere or accomplish anything. Not that I expect a plot-driven story, necessarily, but there was definitely some room for Lucian to begin to question his own psychology, his own emotional state. But that never seems to happen. But if you've read Georges Bataille's Story of the Eye or Marquis de Sade's 120 Days of Sodom, I would recommend this book as supplementary material. The Necrophiliac is not as violent as 120 Days, but certainly equally as disturbing. If you enjoyed this review, and by extension this podcast, please consider supporting me through Patreon. New episodes air every single week on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at the Last Sisyphus, or shoot me an email at Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N, Jones, the number 15, at ProtonMail.com. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.